How excellent is your name? Can we sing? How excellent is your name? How excellent, how excellent is your Oh Lord, oh Everybody, how excellent, how excellent is your hey, Oh Lord, how excellent is your How excellent how excellent is your name, oh Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. Can you hold the hands of your neighbor to your left and to your right? Oh, you can do that by the Spirit as well. Okay, and say with me, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask that we receive insight and revelation into your words our questions are answered our doubts are dissolved our needs are met by the power of the holy ghost and let you shall say Amen. glory to god hallelujah of course okay so um the eternal salvation lawsuit and this is the seventh of many years okay and um we move a step ahead today. Well, um, we over the past couple of weeks, we've been um, um, giving answers in um, defense, okay, of the uh, eternal salvation um, doctrine, as it were. All right, and you know, we, a fortnight ago, we spent the whole uh, week on uh, John 15 verse 2, okay, understanding that and we're able to find out how that it was not talking about a lot of salvation. And if there's anything it talks about to unfruitful believers, it is a message of comfort, okay? That the Father's responsibility is to take you up. All right, um, we're, we're able to see that um, um, Jesus called his disciples, uh, excluding um, Judas Iscariot, he called them clean because they believed in him as, as the Christ. Well, you see that he went ahead to talk about believing again, okay? Which is uh, uh, about abiding in him. Which involved believing, okay, again, and in, in seeing now that he explained that earlier in John 6, we saw that that's by um, eating his flesh and um, drinking his blood, which is um, believing in his um, redemptive sacrifice, okay, so he urged them that they believe in God and they should believe also in him, alright, and we saw how that um, that is how to abide in him by faith. And how that um, it well, I mean, it is not uh, uh, an anti-eternal salvation scripture, actually. All right, we moved into Romans six um, last week. Romans six verse one. That we continue seeing that grace may abound, and we're able to see how that it um, is not a threat to eternal salvation as well. Okay, uh, first is first is not a matter of uh, we are not in sin, we are in Christ or whatever, because even the word in, using that verse, does not have an, a, an, a representation in the Greek um, rendition. It was added by the translators. Okay? Basically, it was talking about um, actions of sin. Now, you see that in verse 15, when it was saying, shall we sin? Okay? 
and because we are not under the law, we went ahead to explain that. Okay, but basically we're able to see how that he was he, he was answering critics. Okay, so he, he was he was being faced. I mean, he was facing um, what we are facing now. He was facing a storeman because he had explained how that grace is greater than sin. We have seen abounds, grace much more abound. And you know, um, so there were people that were claiming that he was um, giving them a license to sin, telling them that they could sin and do any hour. And said, no, that's not the message. We are dead to sin, so we are alive to God, and we should live and walk in newness of life. Okay, so that's not a threat to eternal salvation. Romans 11 to 22, we're able to see as well how that um, it's not talking about when you talk about um, um, you shall be cut off. Okay, um, um, okay, that consider the goodness of God, um, continue in his goodness, otherwise, you will also be cut off. You see, that was uh, an instruction, an admonition to the Gentiles, okay, not to fall a prey of what happened to the Jews. So we see that what he was not talking about individuals that would um, infer a lot of salvation, but he was talking about the race, how that Christianity could be wiped off or wiped out of that race if they make the same mistake the Jews made, okay, becoming high-minded and ending up um, not walking in faith. And we see that it's not talking about individuals; it's talking about a race, like I said earlier. Just like if you have um, you have um, four people. Two males and two females, and the four of them are Christians, okay? And um, one male married the other male, I mean, female, sorry, and the other male married the other female, and they all give birth to four kids as well, okay? The first four, before they got married or while they are married, they are all Christians. So when they give, when um, each couple, they have two couples, right, out of the four, right? Okay? When each couple gives birth to two, um, two uh, kids, and let's say just two out of them, believe and get saved you know that's already that's already becoming a problem because let's say um two among the first parents die we are left with four again just like it started with four right away okay but let's say it was just um i don't oh, i'm sorry um they give let's say they give it to one kid each sorry okay and just one of them believes okay so now when the first two parents have gone have died we are left with four again but now, there's no more four believers, but three Christians and one unsaved, okay? Because two parents and one child, okay? And if that continues to happen, maybe the two um, give birth, I mean, the two um, children should get married and give birth to, um, to maybe a kid or two kids as well, and they do not believe, or just one believes. And that's where it continues to reduce until it gets wiped out. So he was talking about um, what would happen to a race, okay, a group of people. Um, not about individuals and uh, that could infer loss of salvation. I guess that's clear, right? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Alright, so let's move forward. First Corinthians 3, and please let's be very fast today because um, I want us to be able to deal with 3 today. <sighs> God help me, God help us with divine speed. Alright, so can we hold our Bibles in our chest? And our other hand up. Are we together? Hallelujah. And say with me, I believe in the Bible. I believe that the Bible does not contradict itself. I believe that the Bible is consistent. Just as God is. I therefore solemnly pledge. 
that I will not conclude on my thoughts and personal opinions, but I stand with whichever argument triumphs in the light of well-explained and well-corroborated Bible texts. I choose to let the Bible speak for itself. So help me God. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now please, let's be very fast. I don't want to leave anyone behind. Okay? Like I have a long note. So I, I think we should be able to cover up if we, we are fast. Okay? First Corinthians 3 17 says, Are we there? Let's see that together. First Corinthians 3 17. I guess it's quite familiar. It says what? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. I think it is what him shall God destroy. Right? Okay, that says, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. How many of us have come across this verse before or heard it before? Aha, uh-huh. yes. And I'm very sure, or quite very sure, that we all have an idea of what it means. Okay, uh, you know, if you defy, you know, your body is the temple of God. If you defy the temple of God, God will destroy you. Am I wrong? With, huh? Okay, so, um,. And things about that. Okay, so before before doing that, okay, um, let's you, you see we have confirmed out that number one is already quite obvious that Paul is an eternal salvation apologist. Why the right? Huh? Paul explained how that, and you know, one thing there's always a consistency. There's always consistency in letters. Okay, you cannot say this thing in one part of the letter and say and contradict it in another part of the letter. Alright, now look at Romans. Let's see how he even rounds off the book of Romans in a moment. Okay, Romans chapter 16. See what he said in verse 19. Are we there? So before we begin to face Corinthians, see what he said in verse 19. Okay, he says what? For your obedience has become known to all. That's talking to the church in Rome. Therefore I am glad on your behalf and I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Simple there means innocent. Okay, look at what it now says. And the God, sorry, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Can you see that? Okay, and it says what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You see the word be there in italics. Okay, it's not a prayer. It's actually a, 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 a statement of facts, okay, of your reality. And I've explained on, um, on a, a number of times on the meaning of the word amen. Okay? So amen does not mean so shall it be. It means so it is. Alright. And look at what he said earlier. And, uh, I mean, see what he later said in verse 25. That now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Can you see that? And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secrets since the world began but now made manifest to thee and by the prophetic scriptures, scripture of the prophets, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So when it says to God alone be glory through Jesus Christ, isn't that so shall it be? Eh? Eh? See that? So it is. But don't you agree? Eh? Or do you understand what I said? Okay. Okay. So look at verse 25. It says, well, Now to him who is able to establish you. Can you see that? To establish you media means what? That is able to what? Keep you standing firm. Alright. So you see that what is God that's going to do that? It's God that has the ability that, to do that. Why the right? Huh? Okay. Let's move to Corinth now. Okay. So we are addressing 1 Corinthians 3 17 and it says that what he that 
that whoever defies the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And we have an idea of what it means, okay? So God, God will destroy the person that defies the temple of God. Okay, and that obviously looks like the person is damned. Okay, um, in a moment, okay, let's start by, um, I've explained on a couple of teachings, God will teach on, um, briefly on the history of Corinth, and I'll do that very briefly now. Okay, I believe uh, many of us should have an idea of that, because I've done that over and over again, and I got to do that as well in my teaching on, um, in February, Relationship Sex and the Christian, when I talked about um, the church in Corinth, because I was going to explain First Corinthians 6, all right, now, um, Corinth was a place in first century Achaia, okay, and um, you know, in Achaia, there are many places in there. Okay, Achaia is a kind of large, to an extent, not large, it's not really a large province, but uh, Corinth was a prominent city in that place. In Achaia, we have places like Athens, you know, Athens, where Paul said, where Paul saw the inscription to the unknown God, okay, you should know about that story, right, okay, and everything. Alright, so um, in Achaia we have Corinth as one of the most prominent cities, the most prominent actually. It was known for its wide economy, large economy and everything. But one thing that was very popular about Corinth was the high rate of immorality. It was something they gloried in, it was something that they were known for. Okay, and I have explained the number of times that they had a temple there, a temple of the goddess Aphroditus, the goddess of love. Okay, um, which the um, where they would um, offer to the idol, um, that's uh, offer sacrifices and foods and everything, and as well there were if, uh, over a thousand temple prostitutes. Okay, there. That's why you see that first Corinthians, you see a number of times that Paul makes mentions of alot, make mention of uh, makes mention, sorry, of alots, 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 and everything. Okay, so they were about about a. Th- uh, a thousand um, temple prostitutes in which what after you um, you um, uh, com- uh, offer sacrifice to the idol is just like a, a, a rite, okay? You sacrifice, then what you you um, you have an affair with alots. All right, so um, it was so it was that um, so they were widely known for that. How that even in um, old English, I, I, I'm not, I, I doubt it's, if it's in um, the new, I mean, in the modern English, but you can you can and you find it in Google as well. Okay, when you see words like um, a Corinthian girl or something like that, it means an alert or a alert. Sorry, when you see words like to Corinthize, it means to have sex. So that's serious in Corinth. All right, and this, um, this, um, it's funny, right? Okay. All right, now this, um, this practice was peculiar to Corinth, okay? And now there was a church there in Corinth, so it was influencing them to an extent the things going on around them. Are you with me? Do you have an idea of the background, okay? So let's move. Um, so we are dealing with Post Corinthians um, 3 17, and don't forget our caveat. Is um, if a believer can ever truly lose his salvation, then it must be proven so in the light of well explained and well corroborated Bible text. Otherwise, the argument is considered invalid and therefore annulled. All right. So um, very important for me to say this, and I said that last week as well. You know, we are in the pieces now. You have to be very careful because I said that with every letter has a tiny line of thoughts. Okay, very tiny. And I always said I would. I use the adjective tiny to show that it is delicate. It is fragile. It can be missed easily if you get careless at any point. Alright, so every letter has a tiny line of thought. Once you miss that line of thought, 
you have missed or you have missed the whole message. Alright, so you have to be very careful to pay attention to the line of thought. Alright, there's a line of thought that is going on in a letter. Alright, so do not um, miss it. That's why it's very dangerous to cherry pick, to just leave the verse. Because you don't even know where he is coming from, what he has been saying earlier, what he has been emphasizing before then. Alright, so let's see how Paul introduced the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now we there. It says what? Paul called to be an apostle. To be is in italics, okay? But basically, he was called to be, well, but it was fulfilled already then. Um, Paul called an, an apostle, or called to be an apostle through, of Jesus Christ through the will of God, okay? And Sosten is our brother. Sosten is one of the people that, he, he, that God saved on his first visit to Corinth, I mean to Corinth, okay? And Sosten is our brother to the church which is at Corinth. Now pay attention, it says that what? To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So does he call the church sanctified? The people he was writing to? Sanctified? Huh? He says what? Called to be saints. Does he call them saints? Huh? He says, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He says what? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See that what he's uh, is, um, talking about, is communicating, talking about... Um, uh, is greeting them with um, the grace and peace of God. Alright, so this letter is not going to deviate from that. Now look at those follow. It says, so, I thank my God. Now pay attention. Always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by Him, in all authority and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of God was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, if God waiting. Look at eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the talk about the second coming. Right, right. Now it says, Who will also confirm you to the end? Can you see that? Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless? You see the word that you may be is in italics. But even if you put it into it, it still works with the fact that it is, uh, um, it is an assurance. It is a statement of fact. Okay? It says that what? Who will also confirm me to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Can you see that? So who is going to do that? Okay, Jesus Christ. And that is what God is faithful. Can you see that? God is faithful. Like I've always explained, you see what? Can you see that what he said he will confirm you blameless? And that's that what God is faithful. So our blamelessness, our blamelessness status is predicated on whose faithfulness? Okay, ours, huh? Okay, God's faithfulness. This God is faithful by whom you were according to the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. So He has said some things already. How that these people were saints, right? Right? They are, they are, they are saints. They are sanctified. They they will be preserved and confirmed blameless, right? Right? In Acts chapter six, verse ten. Look at now. I plead to you, brethren. Now pay attention. Um, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So you see that what this shows that Paul was aware that there were issues among them before he wrote the introduction we just read. Right, right. But did he change that? Did he change their status? Huh? Huh? Okay, did their issues change their blamelessness status? They are being sanctified. They are being saints. 
Huh? Okay. So he was aware there were issues going on there. There were divisions among them, contentions among them. So it's important for us to pay attention to that. Okay. So um, you know, um, don't forget it is uh, what um, our blamelessness status is predicated not on our faithfulness. Do you remember that? But he is faithfulness. Okay. So the introduction, I always notice the note this because it's going to be helpful throughout. Okay, this series. The introduction is the way to nav- to navigate through a book. Alright? The introduction is the way to navigate through, through a book. So whatever it would say next would not contradict it, would it? Huh? When I start by saying you are a child of God, will I end up explaining, giving different uh, formulas and equations to prove out that you are a bastard? Huh? <laughs> you are laughing. Alright, so you see that what um, the introduction is the way to navigate through a book. So when I begin something by giving an introduction, I'm laying a foundation of what I'm going to say. Are you following me? Okay, so what I'm going to say next is not going to contradict that. Okay, so look at verse 29. Are we there? It says what? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Glory there means to boast in his presence. Why? It says, but of him are you in Christ Jesus. Of God are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us. That means for us. So it was not something we did for ourselves. It was something that was done on our behalf. For us. Who became for us wisdom from God. God now says, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Can you see that? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Is that what who became for us? So can you see that what um, it is hundred percent God's performance? Right or right? Huh? Look at verse 31. Now say that what that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Can you see that? So you cannot boast about yourself. You have to go boast in God. Because it was God that did everything. Okay? He for us. Okay? Has made Christ what? Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now says what? And I, brethren, when I came to you, pay attention and don't miss the line of thought. When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. So he's telling them, uh, he's, he's giving an emphasis on his doctrine. Okay? That what he did not come with excellence of speech. He didn't come to bamboozle them with carefully crafted words. Okay? Rather right. Okay? But what I quite determined, verse 2, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he stuck with the basic message. The gospel. Right or right? Now says what? I was with you in weakness and fear and in much troubling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is talking about his doctrine. Right or right? Right or right? Okay, so follow that. Move to verse 12. Of time, we just... Um, Pick some important things and move to verse 13 immediately. Okay, verse 12. Are we there? It says what? Now we have received, pay attention, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So we have received the spirit of God, right or right? Okay, now this is what? These things we also speak, 
Look at, pay attention. We have received the Spirit of God. And that says, these things we also speak, talking about himself and other apostles, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. See, that is emphasizing his doctrine over and over again. That is not about man's wisdom. Okay? But it's always about the true message that saves. Right or right? Okay? This is how, which things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. And that is what? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I've explained that a number of times. That what it means that what communicating spiritual things with what with spiritual people. Are you following me? Are you following me? Okay. So communicating spiritual things with spiritual people. So that means he confirmed that these people were spiritual. Spiritual on what premise? Verse twelve. On what premise? Why were they spiritual? Okay. Because what they have received the spirit of God. Hallelujah. Okay. Now it now says what um. Follow. Alright, so he calls them what spiritual. Okay? Now why you see the next statement in verse 40, but the natural man does not receive these things. So he's talking about what other people. Can you see? Outsiders, as it were. Look at verse 3. I'm chapter 3, sorry. See the words? And I, brethren, but look at the problem. He has confirmed that they are spiritual, right or right? Okay, now that says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as to carnal. Pay attention to this use of words. He didn't say they were not spiritual. Huh? But he could not speak to them like spiritual people. Right or right? Okay? So he's talking about us. That means he could not speak to them the way he should have. Right or right? Okay? Necessarily, but as unto Canaan, but as to babes in Christ. Can you see that? Now, it's important for you to know the word babes. Don't forget, he already explained that there was something going on among them. What was that? Contentions. Right or right? Uh, he said what? Um, but as to babes in Christ. Now, important to know that word babes is the Greek word nepios. Okay, and important to pay attention to that briefly. Uh, N-E-P-I-O-S. Nepios. Alright. And uh, important for you to know that um, 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 he, he called them, he, he um, likened them to babes. Why? Because they had they have refused to go. Okay? They were just like the way he met them and left them. Are you following me? Okay, so I want you to know what um, Nepios is not talking about a stage in spiritual growth. Unlike, uh, unlike the Greek word brephos. This brephos that is used in 1 Peter 2 verse 2 that says what, as newborn babes desire the sincere make of the word that you may go nearby. So that's talking about a stage in spiritual growth obviously. Okay, but Nepios does not talk about spiritual growth. It's not a stage in spiritual growth. It's talking about the fact that these people they are refusing to grow. Okay, so it's telling that we don't be babes. Okay, you're not trying to say, you know, babes in spiritual growth is not a bad thing. Okay, it shows that what you are, I mean, uh, it um, gives an idea that you would grow as it were. Okay, but this one is talking about people that were, shall I say, stubborn. Okay, now they are refused to grow. Okay, now look at um, um, verse 2. This is what I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able to receive it. Can you see that? So he fed them with milk. What, what does he mean by fed them with milk? He's not talking about giving them, of course, it's obvious we are not talking about baby's milk now, but, uh, or the literal baby's milk now. Now it's obvious that what he's talking about was the way he communicated the message to them. Don't forget, he has said earlier in verse 1 that what, I could not speak to you as to spiritual. Can you see? Bazukana. So, so the milk there has to do with the way he spoke with them. The way he delivered the message with them. 
is not delivered it with them to them as people that are spiritual because of their state because of um, sorry basically because of their conducts are you following me are you following all right so um look at verse three now says what for you are still canal for where they are envy can you see that strife and decisions among you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men can you see that so you are behaving like the natural man like the people of the world by the right okay so are you not carnal so why did he liken them to babes because what they were behaving like unbelievers by the right huh okay but don't don't forget he did not call them unbelievers he didn't say you have become an unbeliever don't forget in verse um Three, even when he's liking them to babies, say that what as to what babes what in verse one. When even when he's liking them to babies, say what as to babes what in Christ. And don't forget that's a very strong term in the New Testament lingo in Christ. Okay, it shows our um, our um, irrevocable union with God. All right, our identity, identification with God. All right, eternal one, hallelujah. Okay, so what is um, he now says what? So he said he explained out that what they were strife and divisions and envy among them. He now says what? For when one says, verse four, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So you see that what Paul is yes talking about the way they received ministers of God. There was Paul, there was Apollos. So the same way, you receive us, you receive us in You see where you talk about whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. That's Cephas is um, Peter. Okay, um, okay. Now, so it was talking about the way they received ministers. Are you following me? Now, that, that's what he said in that same verse one, in chapter one. Sorry, when I said that, um, when he said it was reported to them, chapter one, verse eleven, that they were contentious among you. It was reported um, to him by the household of Chloe. Verse 12 says that what now I said to you is that each one of you says I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas and I am of Christ. Then I said, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Can you see? So it was talking about the contentions and um, divisions um, that were um, based on the way they received ministers. So this one was saying that I was me and of Apollos. You know, Paul was the first person to get to Corinth. Yeah, but he had to live there in the early because of some things that happened. Alright, that was when um, Sostenius got saved, Gaius and everything. Then there was a, there was a, there was a fight and everything and, and everything. Um, they had to beat, they beat um, Sostenius before the, the proconsul and he did not care about it because he said he was not concerned with Jewish laws because of the Jews that had issues with, with the message. So as soon as they had left and everywhere, the believers had to let Paul live in a hurry. Okay, so Paul did not stay long in Corinth. So after that, that was when uh, Apollo started to, uh, was heard that there was a mighty man in scripture, uh, Acts 18. Okay, everything I'm talking about is Acts 18. So he was someone that was very vast in the, in, in the, in the, in the scriptures, but, and parent in the spirit, was that, but he knew only the baptism of John. Okay, but we had, there was, um, Aquila and Priscilla, who were Paul's, who were under Paul's, okay, to tell age. They met him when they heard his message. They were they called him to himself to themselves, and they were they expounded to him the word of God more perfectly. Then he began to teach everywhere because he was a very very sound person, very vast of scripture and everything. So he he, he moved to Corinth. I mean, in Corinth he was teaching in, in teaching he was teaching, and he mightily convinced the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Then from there he moved to Ephesus, where Paul was. So Paul, after that, Paul now moved back to to Corinth. 
okay and everything okay so um so while um Paul, uh, apollos was in corinth paul was in ephesus then in Acts 19 that's where he met that 12 people that said that what um, um did you receive the Ghost if you believed uh they said we have not had it i've explained all that in uh, my series or the new testament um the new covenant series okay all right so um let's come back whoa okay now pay attention so you see that what there was the divisions the strife the contentions was about the way they received ministers so it's just like um this one they were building camps that me oh, i am of paul this one is me i'm of apollos you can be of paul i don't care you know say me i'm of Kephas. so just like this one is, ah, me, i'm not of all of you me i'm of christ so it's just like um in um in under one roof four different sects of people come together under one roof are you following me and it could be leading to some divisions like ah this is the way apollo say we should be doing this particular thing ah no it is paul that will first came it is this way he say i you know was causing strife are you following me okay so it was talking about the way they receive ministers right or right so you have an idea of the context right now pay attention to verse 5 it says who then is paul and who is apollos Please, I don't want you to miss the line of thought. So please follow with your Bible diligently. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe. Can you see that? As the Lord gave to each one. So they were what? Ministers. Why the right? Why the right? But so that was as the Lord gave to each one. So that means what the person that gave them the ministry is the Lord. Who should be the focus? Why the right? Okay, now says what? I planted as a minister. Why the right? Apollos watered as a minister, right? But God gave the increase. That says, so neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And it's important for you to follow. Okay? It now says what? Now he who plants and he who waters are one. So who are the people plant? Who is planting and who is watering? Is it the, uh, every Christian or ministers? Are you sure you are following? Okay, now who, uh, he who plants and he who waters are one. Look at, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Every Christian or ministers? Huh? Ministers. Why the right? Okay, now follow. Um, now says what? For we are God's follow fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Can you see? So who are the God's fellow workers? Ministers. Now says what? The, the church. The other members of the church, they are what God's field. God's building. I think there's a, a husband in KJV. Okay, husband in God's building. That says, according to the grace of God which was given to me. That's talking about Paul, right? As a minister. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Don't forget, I explained how he laid the foundation, not with the wisdom of men, right or right, but with the wisdom which the Holy Ghost teaches. Right or right? Communicating spiritual things to spiritual people. So you see that what he is paying, always pointing to his doctrine. Right or right? Huh? And that's what, according to the grace was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Who is the other, another building on it? Is it going to be just a Christian or a minister? Okay? Just like uh, Apollos building on it. He says, but let each one take it and we build on it. Ministers, right? He says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you see that what you see that what he laid the foundation of Jesus. Because you see that he's pointing to his doctrine. Why the right? 
Okay, not with what words of human wisdom. That is what's now. Please pay attention and don't miss anything from this point. This now, if anyone builds on this foundation, who is building? Christians, every every Christian or ministers. Okay. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, a store, store. KJV is the word stubble. Each one's work will become clear. For the day we declare it, whether it will, and because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test everyone's work of what sort it is. Okay? So, how you know what? There are two categories being mentioned here in verse, verse uh, 12. When it says what? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, on the foundation that he has laid, Okay, there's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, a stubble. I want you to know what there are two categories of ministers there. There was some will build gold, silver, precious stones. That's one category. That's talking about what they will build on that doctrine. They will follow with this doctrine that he started. Okay, that's talking about sound doctrine. Are you following me? Okay, now says what? So gold, silver, um, precious stones is one category. Then under set of ministers build what wood, a stubble. That's another set of ministers. Are you following me? Wrong doctrine. Okay? Now, you see the difference. The difference is on when it is tested in that day by fire. Verse 13. See that word? Fire will reveal, will test everyone's world what sort it is. Now, pay attention to verse 14. It says what? If anyone's work which he has built endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, you know, God's even and precious stones compared to wood age stubble. Can you see that? You know, one of the illustrations I like to give most is Malachi. See Malachi in a moment. Just bookmark this and let's see Malachi very briefly. Malachi chapter um, 3. Malachi 3. One of the best specimens that I point out to you easily. Malachi 3. Are we there? Verse 1. Malachi 3, 1. I'll say verse 2. Now it says what? But he are we there? It says, but he when who can endure the day of our, of his coming? For he will come like uh, who can stand when he appears? For he's like a finance fire. He's talking about fire, okay? And launderer's soap. He will see that a refiner and purify of silver. Can you see that? He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So when gold and silver pass through fire, they will be purified, right? They will be purified, so they will remain. Okay? But look at chapter 4, verse 1. Are we there? This is what? For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. Talk about burning, so it's in reference to fire, right or right? Okay? Says, and all the proud, yes, all the wicked will be stubborn. Can you see that? You see that? Okay? That means what? They will be what? Look at the remaining. says, and that day which is coming shall what? Burn them up. Can you see that? So move back to 1 Corinthians 3 in a moment. So I said that what well, there are two categories of ministers. We have the ones that build gold, silver, precious stones, figurative or metaphorical of what sound doctrine. Because when they pass through fire, they will remain. Okay? But we also have what wood age stubble, figurative of um, wrong doctrine. When these things pass through fire, what happens? They will burn. Right? You will put wood in fire, it will burn. Or it will get burnt. Alright. So um Pay attention to verse 14 again. Say what? If anyone build um, anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Every Christian or ministers? Huh? Ministers. That's beautiful. And I said, if anyone's work, so if it, it endures, that means what he built 
with good foundation, I mean good um, doctrine, right? Right, sound doctrine, go to your prayer stones. Okay, that says, um, verse 15, if anyone's work is burnt, that means what it is, wood age stubble, right? Wrong doctrine. It says what? He will suffer loss. Look at, but he himself will be saved yet as, yet so as through fire. So he is going to suffer loss. Look at verse 14 says that what? He, the one that I endures will receive what? A reward. But what? He says that what? He that his work is born will suffer loss. Loss of what? Loss of salvation. Though what did he say at the end? But he himself will what? Will be saved. So what he's talking about a loss of reward. Can you see? Don't you think this assurance in itself, self, as straightforward as it is, is sufficient for the whole book to show that what Paul is is an eternal salvation apologist? Can you see that? But just pay attention. But don't forget, who are the subject matter of this discussion? Ministers. Huh? Ministers. Don't forget that. Okay? 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 Now, so we know that ministers are the subject matter of this discussion. They were built on that foundation. Okay, some will endure on that day, some will perish, some will be burnt up. Now look at verse 16. Verse 16. Now says that what? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Now please don't miss this. Please pay attention. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Or that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know? Now, if you, if you pay attention very well, don't forget that the earlier said in verse, in verse um, 9 that we, please pay attention to your Bible when I explain so you won't miss it. Verse 9. It says what we as ministers are God's what fellow workers or laborers. Right or right. That's what well, you as the church, you are God's field or husband. We are God's building. Right or right. Right or right. So who are the you? The church. So in verse 16, that's the word. Don't you know that you are the temple of God? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? Just like you are God's building. Are you following me? So is it talking about individuals or the church? Huh? Church. Huh? Church. Please pay attention. So he's talking about what the old church there. Are you following me? Yes. That's unlike 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, that we always mix it up with. Look at 6 verse 19 in a moment, very fast. 1 Corinthians 6 19. Are we there? Are we there? He says that what? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? This time around, it mentions that what? Your body. So that's different. Are you following me? So that's where it's talking about individual bodies. Okay? But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, says that what? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? That's talking about what? The old church. Are you with me? Okay. So says what? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? Just like I said earlier, I said in, in verse 9, that what? They were what? God's own boundary. They were God's building. Are you following me? Okay? So what? Um, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 I, uh, I quoted earlier. Okay, now um, it says what? You are God, the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. I mean, the Spirit of God dwells among His church. Right or right? Huh? Huh? Right or right? Okay? Now. Okay? Now that says what? If anyone defies the temple of God. So the defiling of the temple of God, is he talking about fornication? Huh? Now don't forget, who are the subject matter in this discussion? Huh? 
So if you say, if anyone defies the temple of God, is the anyone, just like I earlier said in, um, in verse, uh, in a moment, sorry, um, verse 12. Are we there? Look at verse 12. He says, words, and if anyone builds on this foundation, so the anyone is referring to, huh? Okay, so move to verse um, 17. He yeah, explained that what the church, that the temple of God. And that says, if anyone defies the temple of God. So who is defying the temple of God? Minister. Huh? Ministers. How will they defy the temple of God? Huh? Are you getting an idea? Okay, now pay attention. If anyone defies the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, it's very important to pay attention to something. Um, um, the word defiled here in the Greek is the Greek word phil. P H T H E I R O. P H T H E I R O. Phil. The O has an accent on it. Phil. Okay? So defiled there means to corrupt. Okay? It means to spoil. Alright, it means to corrupt something. P H T H E I R O. Okay? If anyone, we have found that what the, the one defiling the temple of God, don't forget the temple of God is the church. So the person defiling is, is ministers. Okay? If anyone defiles the temple of God, so you see, you see that what it means to what to, to spoil, it means to corrupt. Okay? Now, according to, um, to history, now Jewish history about the temple, of course, when you hear temple, temple, you know basically, um, Paul mentioned temple, basically he's talking about um, temple of God. The number of times there's a kind of comparison with the, the Jewish temple. Are you following me? Now, in in um, basic Jewish in basic Jewish history, the temple of God. Okay, at least to an extent, we talk. I talk about it in passing when we studied my Matthew 24 uh, about about the destruction of um, Jerusalem in 70 AD. Quite a right. Okay, and I explained how I talked about the abomination of desolation, right? That because these people they will come with their own. With their own hide, so it has what desecrated or defiled the temple. I follow me. Okay, so in in basic Jewish tradition, the the temple of God has been set and what um, designed according to the pattern that Moses saw. And um, okay, then um, that's basically the tabernacle, and later built by Solomon and everything. Okay, then after it was destroyed by the Babylonians, later built again by Ezra, Nehemiah, and the rest of them. Okay, and so they had a temple, but there was a way it was patterned. I follow him. So the temple is regarded as defied when um, you put something, um, you put a strange thing, you bring a strange thing to the temple. Are you following me? Just like, um, is it Numbers 10? Um, 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 it was the name, um, Nadab and Abihu, the uh, first two sons of, um, of uh, Aaron. I said they offered profane fire before the Lord. Do you, do you know the story? That they were slain. Okay? Profane. We brought something out of the, that was outside. There's no part of the elements of the temple and bring it in. You have defied the temple. Are you following me? Okay? Is that you bring something out that's not supposed to be there? Just like the Romans desecrated the temple. Are you following me? Bring something that is not part of the elements of the temple into the temple. Or you take away from the elements of the temple. Are you following me? You have what? Defiled the temple. Now, and that was exactly what the the the, uh, the Babylonians did. They took away all the the deceivers that were dedicated to the Lord, the gold and everything. They were they defiled the temple. Are you following me? Okay. So that you take a, you put something that should not be there, 
or you take away an element that should be there. Okay, but in this context, basically, is 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 quite obvious that he's talking about a taking away. Okay, you like a depriving. Okay, you um, the 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 defining of the of the temple of God is that what you are depriving them of sound doctrine. He had laid the foundation already. Are you following me? Okay, on sound doctrine and what you are taking it away from them. Okay, so the defiling of the temple is by wrong doctrine. Don't for, but don't forget, when the temple is de- defiled, um, you, you have taken something away from the temple. But the temple remains, right or right? It's not destroyed, is it? Huh? Are you following me? Okay, so a defilement does not define or necessarily mean a destruction. Are you following me? But pay attention to something. She said, if anyone that's a minister defiles the temple of God, that's the wrong doctrine. But look at something interesting. That says, Him shall God destroy. Him shall God destroy. Now, before we go ahead, now I want to talk about um, um, Figo basically. Okay? Now, okay, that's what uh, we have seen what um, Figo means. That's the same word that was used in um, chapter 15, verse 33, that says, Have been not deceived, evil communication, corrupt good manners. That's the word corrupt there. That's the same word Figo. Okay? So it means that, of course, the manners will still be there. But you are taking away good from it. <laughs> are you following me? Okay, and you know it's using um, um, Second Corinthians seven verse two as well as eleven verse three that says that what um, that um, be careful that I hope you will not be um, corrupted by by the simplicity away from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Because if someone comes and puts under doctrine or brings you under Jesus or under spirit, you you will put up with it. Okay, so to take you away, so we talk about a corruption away from the simplicity in Christ Jesus. Okay, so something is being taken away. That's the defilement, basically. Okay, so that word is used about four times. I've mentioned three. The word theo. Okay, now the fourth one. Okay, it's used about five times. I've mentioned four. The first one is if anyone defies the temple of God. Then I've mentioned um, chapter 11, verse, I mean, chapter 15, verse um, 33. Um, Corrupt evil communities, corrupt good manner. Chapter Corinthians chapter seven verse two and chapter eleven verse three. Okay, now there's one more place that is used, and it's in that same First Corinthians chapter three verse sixteen. Very interesting. It says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. That word destroy is the same word steal. So it's very interesting why KJV decided to change the word. You know, if if you really pay that to to um, our our second um, our second exhibit exhibit B the Bible and the believer you find out that some things are very interesting about the translators. It's the same word figure that is there. So why did he change it? In your, I think this will help. In your version, how is it mentioned in your version? Huh? What about the, what was used first? Was it the fire that was used first or destroy? Huh? Huh? Okay, if anyone defies the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Now look at a number of versions. Who has any version that um, in just a minute? Um, you see that most versions we stick with destroy, destroy. Like I think the New International Version, First Corinthians chapter three, verse seventeen. Okay. Are we there? Okay. ESV. If anyone destroys the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Okay. Which other version? NIV. NIV. Okay, we can just stick with that. Okay, so we can see what they, they are consistent with their use of words. Because it's the same 
word feel. But it's interesting. It's interesting why, why KJV decides to what, use different words. Use defy earlier. And use the word destroy. Because destroy actually has, seems to carry more weight. Doesn't it? On normal English balance. But it is the same word, original word, feel. Okay? So it says that what, if any minister defiles the temple of God, that minister will be defiled by God. So, the same way as taking away something from the church, something will be taken away from him. By the right. And from the context that we saw so far, what will be taken away from the minister? Huh? Are you sure you understand? Are you sure? Okay? So, what something will be taken away from him, but the person will remain. Isn't it? Don't forget, we have earlier seen how that what the, um, the person will lose his rewards. He's going to what, suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So the defiling means that what he will be stripped of his reward, or is not going to what, have rewards. Okay? As it were. Okay? So the, um, the word destroyed here is just funny, interesting why it was changed to destroyed here. It means a defilement. That means something will be taken away from him. So it is, it is different from the word uh, apolumi that was used in chapter 1 verse 19. That talks about, um, I would destroy the wisdom of the wise. That, that has to do with the, something like an eradication. Okay? But here, destroy here is the word feel. That has to do with what the defilement, as it were. Alright. So, see, um, basically, before we, uh, as we round up with that, um, Ezekiel chapter 7. Ezekiel chapter 7. So, that word defilement has to do with what? Taking away something from there. Ezekiel 7 verse 20. Ezekiel 7 verse 20. Ezekiel 7.20 Okay, are we there? He says, what, As for the beauty of his ornaments, he will set it in majesty, but they made from it the images of the abominations, their disable things. Therefore, I have made it like refuse to them. I look at verse, I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers and the wicked of the earth as spoiled, and they shall defile it. Look at verse 22. Are we there? He says, I will turn my face from them, and would and they look at and they would defy my secret place and robbers will enter it and what and defy it when robbers enter somewhere what's their what's their interest is it to to destroy the place or to take away something from it to take away something from it and of course it is take away something precious by the right okay take away something important okay so that's what defilement entails okay so from the context what will be taken away from the minister that defies the church of God? His salvation? Huh? Is what? Rewards. That's why the Bible says in verse, um, verse um, 15 that what he will suffer loss. Let's talk about loss of rewards. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So we see that what is not talking about fornication, is it? <laughs> Alright. So um, as the plaintiff been able to convince us through 1 Corinthians 3, huh? that we can lose our salvation. No. Well, we give him the benefit of the doubt and move ahead. First Corinthians 5. So please pay attention to the content so you don't miss it because it gets uh, more de- uh, delicate and interesting as well. First Corinthians 5, verse 5. See something he has said. He, I mean, he, he, he says in verse 5. Now, he earlier said something in verse 1 that what there is fornication among them. Why the right? Sexual immorality. Look at what he now said in verse 5. As regards the person that, that was um, guilty of that, that what delivers such a one to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Ah, someone lost. Okay? So it says, delivered such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is something 
Interesting. Now, says something as well that what, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, what does this mean? Okay, that he had lost he had lost his salvation. So, we need to negotiate with Satan. Okay, to teach him a lesson and then add him uh, over back to be saved. Is that what it means? Eh? So, Satan is going to partner with God to to make sure that the person gets saved in the, in the long run. <laughs> Uh, eh? What is it? Okay. So is that what it means? So we will follow through. See um, um, verse 1. Okay? It says what? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Look at. Now please pay attention because it's very funny and, and critical. It says, and such sexual immorality or fornication, KJV, look at, as is not even named among the Gentiles. Look at that a man has his father's wife. I think every word should have his father's wife. Okay? So it's talking about a sexual relations, of course, not with his mother, of course, it's talking about a stepmother. Okay? Um, now um, but it's funny. Yeah, because this practice was something that that um, that even the 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 Gentiles now Gentiles basically means the heathen. Okay, and in this context, it's talking about pagans. Okay, the unsaved Gentiles. Okay, so that was this practice there, uh, that even the Gentiles, the heathen, do not practice or tolerate. Is that bad? That there's now a Christian involved in that. A man will have sexual relations with his father's wife. Are you following? Now look at verse two. He says, "And you are puffed up." And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now pay attention to verse 2. It says that you are puffed up. Puffed up means that well, you are proud. You know, they were proud that what they were able to they were able to put up with him. That they were able to tolerate him. You know, that you know, something like, ah, you know, we as the church of God, I'm just trying to paint a scenario, like maybe we as the church of God, you know, he can do that and we can still tolerate him. Ah, see how see how we are walking in love. This is this is this is love personified. We are love personified. That's why you see, Paul had to address a number of things. And in chapter thirteen, when he was talking about love extensively, in verse, chapter thirteen, verse six, he said, that "What love does not rejoice in iniquity, okay, but rejoices in the truth." Okay, so um, there's something going on. So these people were 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 puffed up. They were proud of themselves that they were able to, to tolerate him. Okay, now look at what he says in verse two: "You are puffed up and have not rather mourned." Now that more there in the Greek is beyond just being sorry. But it's talking about being in grief. Are you following me? So show that word it is actually that serious, if you don't know. Okay? You have proved them another more that look at that pay attention to how it ends that right? That he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So what did Paul expect them to have done? In the response to what the man did. What did Paul expect them to have done? Verse 2. Huh? Just just um, pay attention to what did he say? Okay. Verse 2 what they should what that it should be taken away, I get you, okay? That it should what it should be taken away from among them. That was Paul expected them to have done. Right or right? Huh? Right or right? Okay, so pay attention. Okay? So that was Paul expected them to do. So it means that what if Paul was there at that time. Paul would have spared that. Why the right? That it should be taken away from among them. Okay? So it means that whatever Paul would want them to do, 
in this letter as it's addressing it now. Whatever Paul want them to do about this issue will be connected to this verse too. Don't you think so? That what this point should be taken away from among them. Are you following me? Okay, so let's follow from there. Look at verse 3. Now, that's that what? For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the, in the spirit, in spirit, I've already judged. As, look at it, it says, as though I were present. Can you see? So it shows that what he was there presently, he would have done that already. Are you following me? But that what? Now I am judging, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I've already judged. That what? As, uh, as though I were present, he who has done this deed. Look at, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together, along with my spirit, my spirit there basically is an extension of his apostolic authority. Are you following me? That is saying that what I, you have my backing to do this. Are you following me? It says together with my spirit. Okay, now um, and uh, okay with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. See in that verse, you are used to think talk about in the name of our Lord when it started, and say then you saying what. With the power of our Lord Jesus, so he's saying that what Jesus is involved, so you should consider this thing spiritual and, and sacred. Are you following me? What you are about, what you are, what you are supposed to do to this person. Are you following me? Okay. Now that is what um, to what was the judgment that what delivers such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So is it talking about? So, deliver to Satan to the of flesh. I think it's quite popular among a number of people. Now, uh, I'm quite familiar with this. So, is it talking about sickness? That, uh, that you know, when it's someone when it's that, that has done so much for God and he, he's, he is not falling into sin, and it's like, ah, hey, someone that has done so much for God, that is, God don't allow you to lose him like that. No, ah, the best thing is to make him to just fall sick and he's not be able to sin again. Let him just be bedridden. So, at least, when he finally dies, you will, will still be able to make heaven. Something like that. Okay? So is, is, is it actually talking about that? Is it talking about sickness? Is it talking about... You are not in your head. How do you know? You want the right balls out? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to you. Okay, uh, well... Okay, now, is it talking about infirmity? Or basically, directly, is he talking about death? At least when he dies like this, there will be no way to lose his salvation anymore. It will be easy. But is that what the end of that... It was, I mean, what, what we were doing, the divine was saying for the of the flesh to what end? To one end, that what his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. At least we know that, let's say he has lost his salvation in the process, and we are trying to allow him to gain it back. So it could not even mean death in the first place. It's just like an interesting comment, comment that we talk about. It says, at least we don't know of any instance of post-mortem salvation. <laughs> post-mortem, that after death, you have to please get saved back. <laughs> Just like some funny um, um, sacraments of the, um, out of the seven sacraments of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, when you believe that the, uh, you talk about poverty and everything, when you believe that the Pope can determine your salvation, after someone dies, you can, the Pope still has the power to pray to God, that God is heaven. He's the first thing, maybe the person offended the Pope before, can say, God, no, hell. Ah, I don't want to hear anything. No. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> thank, God his, thank God his name starts with letter Hell before. So, huh? I'm just saying. Alright, so let, let's just follow. So, is it, um, um, so, is, um, it's to one end. Okay. 
Okay, now please pay attention. All right. Now, um, note that Paul didn't say, and look at verse 5 again. Note that Paul didn't say for the destruction, let me do your Bible, verse 5. Notice that Paul didn't say for the destruction of his flesh. Did Paul say that? The destruction of what? The flesh. Okay? Basically, talk about the tone of flesh. Now, flesh basically is used in two, uh, is the word sax in the Greek, two, uh, two contexts. In a matter of time, it could refer to the body, the mortal body. So, if that was talking about, it could suggest that it's talking about sickness or infirmity. Okay? And it's, uh, there's another use as well. Now, but here, it does not appear to suggest, talk about the mortal body because it didn't even say it's flesh. Yet, if it's talking about for the destruction of the flesh or the whole church, Okay, maybe that's why I didn't specify, but it doesn't make sense with the context. Okay, it's talking about the, a judgment for that person. Okay, so the divine to say that for the destruction of the flesh, not his flesh. Now, the second use of that is just like was used in Galatians 5. In a moment, let's see that. Galatians 5 24. In a moment, very fast, Galatians 5 24. Galatians 5 24. Are we there? They're slowing me down. Hey, Galatians 5 24. Are we there? It says what? And those who are Christ have crucified what? Can you see that? With his what? Passions and desires. I think it is what? Lust and affections. Huh? Okay? Talk about passions and desires. Talk about crucify the flesh. So move back to 1 Corinthians 5. That's the context in this verse. So when it says for the destruction of the flesh, what are you talking about? What? For the destruction of what? It's talking about what? That sinful behavior. Are you following me? Are you following me? That's the, the canal lost. Alright. Now just follow. Now it says what? Deliver unto Satan. Now you know that. It's very important to pay attention to this. Okay? Now, deliver unto Satan actually is not least literal. But metaphorical. Okay? If you pay attention they were, you will notice that Paul used a number of metaphoric terms at once. Just follow, you see, you see a number of metaphoric terms that are not literal. Okay, I will, I will take a pause for you, but you are really... Okay, now look at, look at um, verse, verse... You see that word, deliver to Satan. Okay, now look at verse 6. You see that word, you use a number of metaphorical terms. Um, it says, your glowing is not good. That means your, what you are boasting about is not good. What you are proud of is not good. It says, do, look at, do you not know that a little leaven levels the whole lump? Okay, I explained this very well a number of times before. Talking about leaven, like yeast now. Okay? You add, well, at least, thank God, few people know about baking here. You add yeah, yeast. Do you add the same quantity of flour, the same quantity of yeast? No. Just a little, uh, not a pinch of so that It could be a, a very small spoon, maybe a small teaspoon. Depends on what you are baking, though. Okay, now, now, but it is, it is, it is little. But it's going to affect the whole lump. Are you following me? And if you have, if for those that have listened to you, I recommend that as well. My teaching 2017, I think I recommended that a fortnight ago, or maybe last year, a fortnight ago, on um, the communion of the body and blood, 2017, uh, for track teaching. You're going to understand the whole um, um, practice of the Holy Communion and everything, the history from Old Testament to the New Testament. 
and everything. Okay, one thing we got to, okay, I I got to explain about eleven. Okay, having to do with the Passover and everything. Okay, now um, okay, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, of course, you have an idea of what that means, right? Just a little one. Now, leaven leavening in basic Jewish uh, history uh, has to do with corruption or spoiling. Okay, because what um, yeast will alter the natural appearance of the dough. Why the right? There's a natural appearance like that, but what yeast is going to alter it. Are you following me? So it, it, it basically a yeast or leavening is figurative of corruption to corrupt its natural state. Are you following me? Okay. So what those you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Look at verse seven. Are we there? See so what? Therefore, purge out that old leaven. Now, is, in this context, is he talking about? Is he talking about um, literally about leaven? Okay, but talking about what what is going on there. So is that a literal or metaphorical? Huh? Metaphorical. So what purge out the old leaven. Now that's purge out the old leaven. Is that similar with, with with what he said in verse two? That it should be taken away from among them. Isn't it, isn't it the same thing he's talking about? Are you following me? Okay? So purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you are truly unleavened. So it's obvious that it's talking about conduct here, not about um, the spiritual state of the believer. Because that was so that you would not be corrupted and become, uh, so that you would be a new lump and not be unleavened in conduct. Because what truly, in your reality, you are what unleavened. Are you following me? By the, by the sacrifice of Christ, you are unleavened. Look at verse, 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 um, verse, um, Okay, the next, I mean, the conclusion of that place says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Can you see that? So by the sacrifice of Christ, we are unleavened. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Think about the feast of the Passover. But is he talking about it literally or figuratively? Huh? Metaphorically, right or right? Okay, metaphorically. Now, let us keep the feast. So when you talk about key, let us keep the feast. It's talking about what how we should what is metaphorical of how we should conduct ourselves as believers. Are you following me? Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread or of sincerity and truth. So talk about conduct here, right or right? Huh? Not with malice and wickedness, but what of with sincerity and truth. Alright. So um you see that what is it, clear that what he has is he, he uses a trend of metaphorical discussion of metaphorical terms. Are you following me? Huh? Okay. So it's important for you to understand. So um, to deliver the Satan is not literal. Now you see, let um, Satan come. Now we want to do a deal. Okay. I'm going to give him to you, and when it's time, you would return him back so we get saved. Because if that was possible, <laughs> that was possible, ah, yeah, possible. Maybe, maybe we, we, we will enforce that as it were, so there will be more people, more people saved. Okay, okay. Well, that that's by the way, though. So um, it is not literal, but what figurative it is metaphorical. So to, to to deliver to Satan, in essence, means from the context we have seen so far, it should be quite clear. Okay, it means to rise up in opposition to him. And what else communicate him from their gathering? I guess it's clear from the context, right? 
Now he's talking about what? An excommunication. Okay? You have to rise in opposition to him and excommunicate him. Rather than trying to draw him closer. Because they know that what? He is going to corrupt others. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you rise up in opposition to him and what else? Communicate him from their gathering. That's what it means to deliver to Satan. So we could say that just like the way Satan is not allowed in, in their gathering. That is the same way they will not allow him. Are you following me? Okay. So that's what it means to deliver to Satan. So it's not, it's not um, literal. Okay? Okay. So notice that it is neither a prayer nor a curse. But an action that the church there was to take as a gathering. So it's not something, something that maybe you pray for trying to do. Look at, said, look at what he said now in verse, um, verse 3. That I have already judged. In verse 4, he answered that in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, you are to deliver him to Satan. Are you following me? So it's obvious that it's a decision or an action that will be taken by the church as a gathering. Right or right? Huh? Okay. That everyone is to walk in um, together, to walk together to do. Okay. Okay. So he's talking about what an excommunication that you will take him away from you. Now let's let's see how true our explanation is. Follow with the context. See verse nine. Are we there? He says, "What I wrote to you in my epistle, not to company with to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean. Now pay attention." Do not keep company with sexually immoral people. Are you following me? Okay. Now you see that word. He's talking about not keeping company. Right? Now it says, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters talking about the world. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Right? Right? Okay? Because you find them everywhere. Even in your place of work and everywhere. School and everywhere. It says, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. Can you see that? Not even to what eat with such a person. Because in history, you know, eating with someone signifies what friendship. Signifies that you, you, are, you are one with the person. Are you following me? Tell what you should not keep company with such a person. Neither should you eat with such a person. Not even to eat with such a person. But it's very interesting that you see, you see that it's clear that Paul deliberately creates or makes a distinction between Christians that are sinning and sinners in the world. Are you following me? One, I explained how that was. You cannot even separate yourself from sinners in the world in the first place, or else you have to go out of the world. That's the only way out. But now say that what? But Christians that are sinning, that are doing those things, but you should not keep company with them, with such a person, not even to eat with them. Are you following me? Okay. Now follow, follow from there. In answer what? For what have I to do with those who are outside? Can you see? Talking about unbelievers. Can you see that? Do you not judge those who are inside? Can you see that? So it's that, that's one litmus test or acid test or one way to know when, whenever Paul is, is, um, is um, criticizing or talking about someone doing wrong in his letter. That's one way to know whether he's a believer he's talking about or a non-believer. There is always the word a judgment, a correction. 
Can you see that? See that what? Do you not judge? I mean, what am I to do judging those that are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Can you see that? See that what? But those who are outside, God judges. Can you see? That says, and, or therefore, put away from yourself that evil. Or that evil person. Are you following me? So what does deliver to Satan mean? Huh? To what? Put away from yourself. Are you following me? So he's talking about what? A, an excommunication that the church was going to do as a gathering, as one. Everyone will be abreast of this and everyone is going to work together to achieve that. Are we together? Okay. So, uh, um, okay. So, um, is it consistent and clear that Paul is talking about his communication? Huh? Huh? Okay. So, and it's important to know that well, this was a judgment that Paul um, cons- uh, consistently administered to church people. Okay, since they're going to Thessalonians in a moment, very briefly, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 13, 2 Thessalonians 3 13, are we there? 2 Thessalonians 3 13, are we there? Fast, fast, fast. Okay, I guess. Okay, seven so three thirteen says what? But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. That's talking about conduct, huh? That is what. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, look at note that person and what? Can you see that? Is that is that, is that familiar? Okay, look at and do keep no do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. That says yet do not count him as an enemy, but what? Admonish him as a brother. So it's, it's, it's clear this person is a believer and is saved. Why the right? Huh? Why the right? But it's obvious that what they were going to do as not keeping company with him was to an end. Look at verse 14 again. Was to an end. That what? That there was an end in mind. That what? That he may what? He may be ashamed. Can you see? So it's obvious that he's, he's talking to a believer because there's a judgment, there's a correction. That's an end in mind. That he will be ashamed. That's basically about repentance now. Okay? Now, now move back to 1 Corinthians 5. Okay? So, all you know was this decision that they were making is not actually trying to be wicked. But number one is for the good of the, of the church, of course, so that it will, not, they, it will not infect the others, corrupt others. Right or right? Okay? But as well, it is of love. I, I mean, in Paul's, um, on Paul's, um, on, on Paul's um, hand now. It is, of, it, is a, it is of love. Okay? It is of love. Now look at, look at, look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So you know, it's not talking about the destruction. Um, Paul is not interested in the destruction of people. There is no distraction, okay? Okay? So you see that Paul is not interested in the destruction. In, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not a Christianity thing in destroying people's lives or something. So you don't think that the destruction of the flesh has to do with destruction of people. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In a moment. Now, the story of the flesh used in um, in First Corinthians five is the, from the Greek word oletros. I basically is the word used for for how um, the the uh, unbelievers will be destroyed and everything. So it is something that is terminal, okay? But there's also a strong word that was used in Second Corinthians ten as well. Um, um, are we the Second Corinthians ten, verse eight? 
Are we there? 2 Corinthians 10, 8. Are we there? Look at what it says. It says, For even if I should boast somewhere, somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us, look at, for edification and what? Can you see? Not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed. He used that as well again in, in chapter 13. chapter 13, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 13, 10. Say words, Therefore I write these things being absent, let me present that I should use sharpness according to the authority. See that is always in reference to his authority. And the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Can you see? So Paul did not have destruction in mind. Like that the person is going to be destroyed, maybe perish, or maybe he's going to die or something. No. The word used here is katairesis. Okay? Katairesis. That has to do with a, a complete demolition. That will lead to a complete ruin. Okay? And Paul is not interested in that. So you see that was Paul's authority and, he, and the way he, he, he communicated it is with the, from the outset of love. Are you following me? Huh? Okay? So verse 5. So verse 5. Basically, when it says what deliver him to say for the destruction of the flesh that is being saved in, in the day of the Lord, it's, it's saying that what put him away from among you. Right or right? Huh? For the destruction of that sinful behavior. So what is that talking about? Destruction of that sinful behavior. It's talking about what? Repentance. Isn't it? Huh? Repentance. Repentance. To what end? That what? That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And this is another place to pay attention to. So to the end, um, the repentance is to the end that what? I mean, uh, everything is to the end that we repent. And the repentance is to the end that what? He will be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, is this actually saying that he had lost his salvation and thus needed to regain it through what they were going to do and his subsequent um, repentance? Uh, proleptically. Um, okay, now, remember, that's why I always talk about the tiny line of thought. Okay, now remember that Paul had just earlier confirmed that a believer cannot lose his salvation. Right or right? Right or right? Okay, so saved. So is that what, to the end, that what he may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So saved from what? Don't forget when we studied Matthew, Matthew earlier, Matthew um, um, 10 and 24. We are able to understand that what the word saved does not always have one context. You remember that? You remember that, right? That if the salvation that has to do with salvation from sin, the salvation that has to do with salvation from the future um, destruction or wrath, and the salvation that has to do with salvation from physical death. Right or right? So it's important so there's salvation from many things, as long as it is a bad thing or danger. So it's important to always what, be attentive to the context. Okay? So thy spirit will save in the day of the Lord Jesus. So saved. From what? And don't forget, he said that what he will be saved when? Huh? Okay, it will be he will be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Day. I think it's Emera in the Greek. Day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what would happen to Christians in the day of our Lord Jesus? Don't forget, look at chapter 3, verse 13. He had said something earlier about um, connected to that. So I was thinking verse 13. Are we there? Are we there? You see that what each one's work will become clear for what will what we declare it? So I was thinking verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for what will declare it? 
Huh? The day. Right or right? The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that? Okay? So what would happen to Christians in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? What? Their works will be tried. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says that what? Um, and for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 10. That we shall all appear, or we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Can you see? So in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, what will happen? What is to be tried? Their works will be, will be tried. We will appear before the, um, before the judgment seat of Christ to give account, not of our salvation, but our service, our works. Our works. Look at verse 6 of that chapter 5. You see that what there's something there's, there's some similarity with chapter 3 that we earlier um, we earlier um, um, examined. Chapter 6, I mean verse 6 of chapter 5. Are we there? See that what your glowing is not good. Are we there? Say your glowing is not good. Say, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So there's a leaven, which is just which is just figurative of what one one person is causing in his conduct. I follow him, just one person, or maybe a few people. But say what leavens the whole lump. That talk about the whole. Are you following me? Are you with me? Okay. So you see that what just as a minister can defile the church with wrong doctrine. Any Christian as well can defile the church with wrong conduct. Right or right? Talk about a defilement or a corruption. Okay? A little leaven levels the whole lump. Okay? So in that context, when he repents, he will be saved from what? Huh? Ah, okay. He will be saved from loss of all his works to fire. Because that will that what will happen on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Works will be tried by fire. Okay? So he will be saved from loss. Okay? From loss of all his works to fire. Okay? It's just like stripping someone naked. No reward. Okay? So Paul is saying that well, that's why we need to help him. So he will repent soon. Or else, when the day comes and fire tries his work, there will be nothing left. And there will be nothing for him. Is that clear? Are you sure? Huh? Okay. But good news. There's a good news. It worked. Okay? The man actually repented. You know, when Paul was going to write the second letter to them, he made a reference to this again. Second Corinthians, move to Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two. Don't forget, Paul and Elias said that what these people they were puffed up, right or right? But he said that what they were supposed to mourn. Right or right? Right or right? And the mourn, like I explained, does not have to do with just being feeling sorry or being sad, but what being in grief. To show that what this is something that serious. But look at what Paul said in his letter in, in chapter two. When, I mean, in chapter two of Second um, Corinthians, when he was going to address this again, because they had already they had, they they, they um, followed Paul's instruction on what to do to the to the guy. Okay, he has communicated from the church and he repented. Okay, now look at um, um, so um, you should that was in in sending him, in um, in um, putting him away from among them. They were showing him that what they do not agree with what he did. Are you following me? They took a stand in opposition to him. 
Now look at chapter, chapter 2 verse 3. Are we there? It says what? And I wrote to you this very thing. This, uh, the word is very thing to you. Lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved. You know when Paul said earlier, I was saying that you guys are supposed to actually be in grief. But now Paul is saying that what? Not, he didn't say actually for you to be grieved as it were, but that you might know the love that I have so abundantly for you. So Paul really cared for them. He didn't want them to get corrupted. Are you following me? Now follow, follow to me. Now says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to an extent, to some extent, not to be too severe. Then it says, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. Can you see? It was inflicted by the majority. Don't forget, they were supposed to take that as a gathering. Are you following me? It says, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a, a man. Can you see? Just like he said, I would deliver such a man to Satan. Or such an one. That was the same word I was using in KJV as well. That is, is sufficient for such an one, right? KJV. Huh? Right? Is it the <laughs> sufficient for? Huh? Do you even know where we are? Verse six. Is sufficient for what? Okay, sufficient for such a okay. Is this punishment? This okay? Just follow. Just follow through. There's there's a point there. Now pay attention. It says what? So okay. Alright. Since so that on the contrary, don't forget, see that was that that was a punishment that was what that was that was made by them as a group, as a garden. So that was this punishment that was inflicted for by many, so being for such a one. Now that is what so that on the contrary verse seven, you ought rather to to what forgive and comfort him. Can you see that? Let's perhaps such uh uh-huh, this is the place, let's perhaps such a one, and this is such an one in KJV, right? Ah, such an one, okay, be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Can you see that? So you actually repented. Are you following me? So you know what you are supposed to what rather what forgive and what comfort him. Are you following me? Are you following me? So what therefore verse 8, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to test whether you are obedient in all things, and you have seen that what they obeyed his instruction. Now whom you forgive anything. I also forgive. For indeed I have forgiven anything. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven not that one for your I have forgiven that one, sorry, for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now it says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So you see that what there was no mention of God forgiving the person. Rather right. Okay? But what rather the church forgiving him. And basically has to do with what? What was restoring the person to their gathering? Rather right, huh? Okay, restoring him to fellowship with one another. That's why I said that what they should, what they should forgive and what comfort him. Okay. So salvation is not the matter in this discourse, is it? Huh? Huh? Salvation is not the matter in this discourse. Okay. Move back to First Corinthians. Okay. So I guess that's clear, right? Huh? Now, the next is chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to just take them as, as one. Just move from 5 straight into, verse, uh, into um, uh, chapter 6. 
Now says what? Verse 9 says what? Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. Nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So now it is Paul saying that what they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I mentioned these things, adulterers, um, thieves, covetous, revilers, extortioners, sodomites and everything. Okay? Now, don't forget how we started verse 9. Do you not know that what? Huh? That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, gladly, we have seen the corpse, uh, we, we had earlier in this series, seen the content of righteousness. According to Paul's own teaching. Okay? So, who, who are the righteous? Huh? Huh? Who are the, who are the righteous? Okay? Those that, are what, that have believed that my name is Victor. Huh? That have believed the gospel. Those that are saved are the righteous. Okay, the unrighteous are the unbelievers, the unsaved. Alright. However, well, let's, um, but let's focus on his letters to this particular church. Alright. So, it's through his letter, it's, 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 it's what is addressed to these people. Let's focus on that. So, it does not seem to generalize. Let's, let's give the benefit of a doubt. And maybe it does not apply to everyone. So, let's focus on this church, basically. Okay, look at chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, are we there? Chapter 1, verse 30, we saw earlier. Chapter 1, verse 30, are we there? Are we there? Look at what it says. It says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. That is what? And what? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Can you see? So that was done for us. Righteousness for us. Talking about to the believers. See second letter to them. Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five. Are we there? Second Corinthians five. Are we there? Verse twenty one. Since that what? Um, for he made him. That's for God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Can you see that? Can you see that? Moses chapter 6. See chapter 6, verse 14. Are we there? It is very clear and concise. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So this instruction is to believers. Right or right? Do not be unequally believers should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Say what? For what fellowship has what? Can you see? For what fellowship has what righteousness with unrighteousness? So how does it define the believer? Huh? How does it define the unbeliever? Can you see that? That's the most communion as light with darkness. So who are the unrighteous? Huh? Unsaved. Like you said earlier in verse 14. Who? The unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? So who are the unrighteous? Unbelievers. To move back to 1 Corinthians 6. 
Now the reason I'm saying this, um, okay, now remember, don't forget now we are dealing with um, do not know that your righteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, that neither the fornicators nor idolaters nor the thieves, conversion uh, and everything will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so um, however, remember, so want to know what Paul is talking about, he's talking about a lot of salvation to people that are involved in this, to Christians that are involved in this. Okay, now remember that Paul had just earlier. You know, that's why I pointed it out earlier. That Paul had just earlier given a distinction between sinning uh, distinction between sinning Christians and the sinners of this world. You remember when I pointed that out? Huh? Huh? Okay, we'll see that together. Okay, first Corinthians, move back, uh, back up to uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 9. Are we there? Very fast. Are we there? Are we there? It says, I wrote to you in my epistle. That's talking about a letter he had written to them earlier. Not to keep a company with sexually immoral people. Okay? It says, um, Yes, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or to the fornicators of this world, or, or the conversions or extortioners or idolaters of this world, since you would need to go out of the world. Okay? But now I've written to you not to keep company with, with anyone named, okay, they recalled, a brother who is a fornicator. Or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So it's clear there are two categories, right or right? Huh? So we have two categories. On our left is what um, the 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 okay. So we are used to write as being good. Okay. On our right are what the Christians that indulge in these things that I listed: fornication. Um, extortion, um, covetous, thieves, and everything. Are you following me? Then on our, to our left, I was the sinners of the world practicing these things. Are you following me? So we have two categories. Okay? So which of the categories is he talking about in chapter 6, verse 9 to 10? When he says that these people, extortioners and everything, are not inherit the kingdom of God. Which of the categories is he talking about? Or is he talking about both? Since they are both involved in it. Huh? Okay? So look at verse 12. In answer the words, For what have I to do judging those who are outside? Chapter 5, verse 12. Do you not judge those that are inside? Can you see? So his judgment was for the Christians that are doing those things, not for the world. Says, but those who are outside, God judges. You ever put away from yourselves that evil. Now it says what? Dare any of you having a matter against another? Go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. I think KJV is the word unjust. But in your version, is it unrighteous as well? Unrighteous, can you see? Now I've explained to you the meaning of just, right? Just. Dikayo. Um, okay? Um, righteous. It means the same thing. But just funny why KJV just anything in this word. Just be consistent as for once. Okay? Okay, there any of you having a matter go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. So it's saying that what Christians were having matters with one another. Now they are now they're not looking for unrighteous people to settle it for them. Are you following me? That's one of the things. Don't forget the first thing that Paul just uh, you see that what coming is a place that is full of different misconducts. He has started by explaining out that what they were full of contentions and envy and strife. You remember that, right? About the receive means and everything. Then what I had to talk about the fact there was even fornication among them. Now, now and they were even glowing in that. 
Okay, how that they were able to put up with it. Now, you know what I had to say that what they were even having matters with one another. Not just that they were now having issues with one another, they were now looking for unrighteous people to sort, to sort it out for them. Are you following me? Okay, now that says what? And not before the saints. Are we there? And not before the saints. So we look at what he said earlier, so you get it. So there you have any matter um, with, against one another, go to law, pay attention. Go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. So you see that what it is what saints versus unrighteous. Right or right? Huh? Okay. Now look at verse 2. That's that what do you not know that the saints? So is that what the matter should actually be should have been brought before saints, right or right? Okay, that's that what do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now who is are the people that are referring to as saints? This is that what Look at Genesis, and if the world will be judged by you, can you see that? So he explains that what they are the ones he's referring to as the saints, right or right? Yes. Huh? Yes. Don't forget, same people giving over to strife, giving over to envy, to divisions. That there was even fornication among them, and there was strife among them as regards different um, issues about and they were, they, were, they were taking one another to, uh, to court for or to, to the law court for okay then what he called them saints remember chapter 1 verse 2 in a moment and I said what to the church of God who is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints can you see that can you see that so he calls them saints nonetheless and don't forget the introduction is the way to navigate through a letter so he was not going to deviate from that because he knew of these issues before he started writing the letter. So now maybe he wrote it halfway, then he now had something, now decided to chuck it in or something. All right. Now that's the words. Um, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He says, and if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Can you see that? That's the words. Do you not know? Please don't miss the line of thought. That's the Do you not know that we? Shall judge angels. Can you see that? How much more things that pertain to this life? So is that what Paul is talking from a man, uh, from an outset of of a certainty, right or right? Don't you know that these things are going to happen? Are you following me? For sure. Now I say what? How much more things that pertain to this life? Don't you know that we will judge angels? That we will judge the world in the time to come? How much more things that pertain to this life? They are not taking it to to unbelievers. Are you following me? Now pay attention. Look at verse 4. It says, If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Why do they are least esteemed by the church? You what? The unbelievers. Are you appointing these people to judge you? Can you imagine? That's a rhetorical question. That's a, that's a rhetorical question. That's a, what I say this to your, cha- to your shame. Or I speak this to your shame. Is, that, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Not even one. Who will be able to judge between his brethren? Says what? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before what? Unbelievers. Can you see that? Okay. So earlier we have seen that what is saints versus what unrighteous. Now we have seen that what is is, is expanded. What saints versus what unrighteous? Who are what? Unbelievers. Are you following me? So who are the unrighteous? Unbelievers. Right or right? Do you get that? Are you sure? Okay. So is Paul? Um. Talking about sinning Christians or sinners in the world. 
When he says unbelievers, unrighteous, look at verse 7. It says, Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you. A moment, please. Okay? It's already an utter failure for you. Failure, in case you use the word fault, it means what failure. Okay? Like a loss. Already an utter failure for you um, that you go to law against one another. Look at why don't you rather accept wrong? Are you with me? Okay? Why don't you rather accept wrong? Look at verse 8. It says, oh, okay. It says, why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? She said, what? No. This, no. But you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do, you do these things to your own brethren. That is, why can't you allow yourself to suffer wrong or to be cheated? But it's you that is doing the action. Eh? You are the one that is, that is doing wrong. You are the one that is cheating. Can you imagine? And don't forget, he still calls them what? Saints. That will what? Judge the world. Don't you know that you will judge the world? Can you see that? Okay, look at verse, um, verse, verse, verse 9. Now, Gusai, you see that what? Okay, that, but you, you, you do the wrong and cheat um, to your own brethren. And I said, do you not know that the unrighteous will, in, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God of God. Okay? So who are the unrighteous that we have seen earlier? Verse 6. They are what? Unbelievers. Can you see that? So is Paul talking about sinning Christians or sinners in the world? Huh? Huh? Okay. Now look at eh? sinners in the Lord. Okay. I just want to be sure. Okay. Sinners in the world. Now look at verse 8. It says that what? No, you yourselves do wrong and you look at you yourselves you do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your own brethren. So you see that he just accused the number of them of falling into the same category of I mean into the category of extortioners, of thieves, of covetous. You see that? And then he said that there was even for him, there was even fornication among them. But what is he saying in verse 9 and verse 10? That what why will you be taking matters among yourselves to unbelievers to judge for you? Don't you know that these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God? So they are below you. Are you following me? Huh? Okay. Don't you know these people will not inherit the kingdom of God? They are below you. Those are the people that you, you, as big as you are, that you are, you are going to judge the world, judge angels. Those are the people you are taking your matters to. When I say you are going to judge the world, you are going to um, judge angels, it's obvious that it means that they are going to, they are going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's why they are going to be the ones to judge in the kingdom. Okay, it's those that are in charge, in authority of the kingdom that will judge. Are you following me? So in that word, you that are going to inherit the kingdom of God, they are going to judge the world. Why are you taking your matters to these people? Don't you know that they will not inherit the kingdom of God? That they are below you. Huh? But very importantly, see verse 11. Are we there? Are we there? You see what? As I mentioned, all this uh, attitude, this conduct. You see what? And such were some of you, present or past. Huh? I talked about something last week. I will always pay attention to Bible tenses and Bible terms. Use Bible terms, Bible way. Bible tenses, Bible way. Okay? And such were some of you. So it's saying that some of you were in that category. But something has happened to all of you. 
What happened? You were washed. Verse 11. Look at your Bibles. See, but so some of you, but you were washed. Can you use the word I washed? And that way, saying that it has happened already. Okay? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Say what? You were washed. Washed from what? Washed from your sins. It's the word apoluo in the Greek. It's used just twice. The other page is used. Look at them, um, Acts chapter 22 in a moment. Just bookmark that. I'm going to Acts 22 very fast. Acts 22 verse 16. Acts 22:16. Are we there? Acts 22:16. Are we there? He says that what? Um, and why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Can you see that? Talk about being washed from your sins. See that? This is what apoluo in the Greek. Talk about a thorough washing. Okay? Apoluo. A p o l o u o. The o has an accent on it. For those that were under my teaching on John 13, you should know about Luo and Lipto. Do you remember that both man? Okay, now, um, okay, now it says what? But you were washed. That was what you were washed away from your sins. Are you following me? Huh? It says what? But you were sanctified. That was what it means was you were made holy. Are you following me? You were made holy. That's why you are saints. In a moment, see chapter 1 verse 2 again. Say what to the church of God is at calling to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called saints. Can you see that? Such were some of you, but you are washed from your sins, but you are sanctified. You are saints. But you are, but you are what? Justified. Verse 11. Are we there? Chapter 6 verse 11. But you are what? Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. Justified means what? You were made righteous. So when you say that what? Your righteous are not in the kingdom of God. It's not talking about you. Okay? But you were justified. You were made righteous. That means what? No more unrighteous. Okay? You are the ones that will inherit the kingdom of God. You are the ones that will judge the world. Is that clear? Are you with me? Okay? As I begin to round off, he now says that what? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Okay? He says, all things are lawful for me. So, in essence, what he's saying, in essence, what you, don't forget, I thought on, on, on exhibit B, on the use of the word all things, past, that it means a specific thing or set of things in the context of discussion. Right or right? Huh? And he's talking, he has talked about a number of conducts. Or he's talking about some number of conducts. So, in essence, he says, that, well, I have the right to do these things. But what? All these things, but they are not what? For my good. That means of um, um, KJV is the word expedient. All things are, are low for me, but all things are not expedient. It means that was not profitable, not good. Are you following me? So in essence, I have the right to do these things, but they are not for my good. Are you following me? Okay? Okay? Now say that what? All things are low for me, but I will not be brought... Look at your Bibles. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay? Now say that what? Meat. Okay, Jerry. That's what you use the word meat. Food for the belly. Or food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Basically, we'll get to see that as we proceed from next week. It's basically about food offered to idols and everything. He has the right to do that and everything. So, food, um, food for the belly and, and the stomach. Food for the stomach and stomach for, for food. But God will destroy both it and them. In other words, that was the, the function of both will come to an end. Um, um, the, the need for food will come to an end. The belly. Need for the belly and everything will come to an end. Well, but God will disobey that. Now the body is not for fornication or sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Can you see that? 
and the Lord for the body. Okay? Now I've explained that there was something that we always follow in, in, in idolatry, fornication. Don't forget, I remember the temple of Aphroditus, right? Huh? The goddess of love in Corinth. Okay, we'll get to see that and understand it better next week. But look at what he now says, verse 14. Can we read verse 14 together, everybody? Want to go. And God both raised up the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power. So is that a probability or a certainty? Can you see that? So Paul is an internal salvation apologist. You see that? It's clear on it. The God that raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise up, up by his power. These same people that had all these issues among them. The Lord that raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us up by his power. Amen. Amen. So um, through 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5 and chapter 6 verse 9 to 10 as the um, plaintiff been able to convince us eh, that we can lose our salvation. Eh? <laughs> All right. Alright, but of course we have to keep giving the benefit of a doubt and you know continue to examine every argument he poses even in subsequent weeks. Are we blessed? Yes. I mean, we are glad to be in this gathering. Okay, can we begin to bless God for, for such a meeting, for his word, for clarity? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Oh, your word is light. Your word is light. Uh, lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Uh, directions. That's what it means. It directs my ways. Glory to Jesus. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for light. Thank you for life. Uh, glory. Hallelujah. 